I think a lot of people would quit drugs if they knew what natural highs taught. Um, I think a big part of that is that natural highs teaches you how to feel good on your own without the use of substance, and I feel that once people know that, they make the switch. I'm Tara, and I am a peer mentor with natural highs. I started my journey with them while I was in high school, and I just had a lot of stuff happening, and it really helped me. So I stayed involved to bring it to as many people as I can, and just kind of um, keep empowering the mission and the program that is Natural Highs. And today I'm interviewing Kara, and I met Kara through the practicum program um, that she did at Naropa, where um, basically we'll have people from Naropa come and kind of teach and learn with us. Cool, and yeah, I'm gonna let you kind of tell us more about yourself. I'm really curious about kind of what you studied at Naropa and what that was like for you. Awesome, thanks so much. Yeah, so I actually um, got first involved with Natural Highs by just going to the adult program. And I think you were, I think you were there. And I, so that was kind of my first push to ever get sober. And then I talked to Avani because I was doing the internship um, in the last semester of, uh, of, of this year. And so I was like, could I please be an intern or a practicum student? And she's like, we only take people on for a full year. Um, and I kind of told her my story and she said, okay, you can do half a year. So it was like, um, kind of just being a student and then the last spring semester I really got to be involved at New Vista workshops and also with the whole COVID being online with you all. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Canada and I moved to Iqaluit, Nunavut, which is in Canada's Eastern Arctic when I was 11 years old. And then um, after graduating from high school, I ended up going to a university in British Columbia where I did an adventure guiding program and then made my way down to Naropa to do two years here and like finish up and get an undergrad degree. So um, studying at Naropa, I did interdisciplinary studies because that was the only program that was really going to accept all my random credits. Um, but it turned out really well. I concentrated in, in peace and conflict and then environmental studies. So a lot around environmental and food justice, as well as social innovation. Um, and I was really inspired by natural highs and this idea that I already had to bring a rock climbing program to youth in Iqaluit. And natural highs really helped me kind of piece the mental, the mental health support um, portion of the program, which I had always wanted, but I didn't really know how to frame. I just was more qualified in the, the rock climbing kind of area. So I ended up developing this um, summer program for youth that would integrate mindfulness techniques, brain chemistry, rock climbing. Um, we would invite indigenous Inuit um, people to come and talk about whatever they want, but maybe Inuit philosophy in, in relation to the environment. Um, and then also I'm really excited to bring the philosophy circles um, to this program, which you're super familiar with. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I just finished the project and now I'm starting to build the non-for-profit and things. That's really awesome. That's cool to hear it from your voice too. I've heard a little bit about it through like 
Avani or through you talking about it with other people, but um, that sounds really amazing. And so did you, when you were growing up there in Iqaluit, is that how I say it? You could say Iqaluit, and Iqaluit means place of many fish. Oh, cool. Yeah. So who um, involved and integrated with the Inuit and indigenous communities there growing up? Yeah, yeah. So um, Nunavut is, is, it means our land. And um, it was actually the last kind of, like you could say state, but Canada terms like territory or province created yeah. by um, Inuit, mostly men who had been taken away, gone to residential schools. And then they had gotten lawyer degrees and they, they came together and they were like, we need to make sure that you know, we have our own land and that we have rights to this land. And so they created the Nunavut Land Claims Agreement, which is the biggest um, indigenous land claim in Canada. And so most of the people that live there are Inuit and we have 25 communities that are all fly and fly out. So you can't drive there. You can't drive to other communities unless you're on like a skidoo or a boat. And so growing up, it was probably like 80, 85% Inuit. And then the rest were either settler Canadians or people of other ethnicities or races. And, um, and yeah, so it was super, super integrated. It's the most, like it's, I, that's what I experienced the most like thriving culture that I've ever really seen in other places, like comparing to other places of Canada, like uh, many, many Inuit speak their language. Um, People still tra traditionally sew, like sealskin boots and mitts and parkas, and they hunt. And it's just, it's just such a, their culture is such a everyday piece of life, especially in the public schools. So it was just kind of, yeah. Oh, interesting. So I'm curious how you kind of got this idea to, it sounds like it's a summer program for youth empowerment using climbing and um, mental health support like where did that seed get planted yeah so I really struggled with um, drug abuse when I was in high school and and then I, I, I traveled for one year and then I ended up going to this adventure guiding program where I was still using um, but we were always outside in this program so we were doing like two-week kind of courses that were in the outdoors and then when we were back at our homes we were either going to the climbing areas or going on hikes or skiing um, and I started to just think like wow this is really helping me um, I think that this could probably help people back home too and um, I was trying to think like skiing might be a little too hard like sea kayaking sea kayaking is my super big passion but it's pretty and, and it's traditional to the Inuit culture but um, it wasn't a total click for me. And then I was thinking like rock climbing, like you, you move through so many different emotions when you're on the wall, right? Like you're working with fear, you're working with trust, trusting your own body, trusting your own mind. And slowly you're, you're doubting yourself and then you end up at the top of this climb and you can only thank yourself. So I really think that it helps build confidence and, um, and kind of fosters tools that you could use off of the wall in, in terms of working through really hard emotions, you know? Um, that was the inspiration for it, yeah. Wow, that's 
so interesting. So then while you were in that drug abuse, you decided to continue your learning anyways and, you know, go and pursue something else. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, had, I had actually stopped smoking weed during that program, but I was drinking a lot. And then when I got to Colorado, I, I started um, smoking weed a lot again. And I was just, I was going down a bad path and could really feel the fogginess and some paranoia in my mind. And, and I thought that Naropa was going to be the place that was going to get me sober. I was like, this is a spiritual community, you know, people are, whatever. I just thought that I was going to have a lot of support or like people making me accountable, but it was the complete opposite. And, um, and I saw the natural highs flyer the first, um, probably first couple of weeks of my first semester. And I emailed someone about it and then I didn't go. And then I saw it the second semester, I emailed someone about it and I didn't go. I saw it the third semester, I was like, just gonna go I'm just gonna go and it was like it was just the push that I needed and I don't think I could have created this project and it definitely wouldn't be what it is because a really main piece of it now is helping kids to have healthy alternatives like what Nacho Highs does and using rock climbing as one of those alternatives as well as just bringing in different types of practices like we learn with natural highs and and herbs and all those things so it like yeah I, I can't even imagine what this project would have been if I had never found natural highs Mm. Yeah. So you're incorporating, it sounds like you're incorporating almost everything that Natural Highs is trying to be and bring to people. Yeah, yeah, trying to. And I really love the flexibility that the peer mentors and Avani have just presented and that I've been learning from and that, you know, everyone's welcome no matter where they're at. And this, like, yeah, just this flexible mindset of welcoming whoever walks through the door, figuring out how we're, we want to frame class, what people need, also like what we're ready to teach and just, um, yeah, and then all of the little things that we do. Cool. Wow, I'm so excited to hear about this. Yeah. So when you went to Naropa, did you already know that you were going to start this program for youth? Or was it kind of like something that that you like had a little bit of an inkling about, but you definitely, once you found Natural Highs, you said, okay, I can actually do this. Yeah, so I had done my, I had to do a business plan in the adventure guiding program, and I had done it on building a climbing gym. And I wanted this climbing gym to be like a warm, safe place that people could go, they could get food at, um, they could learn climbing, we could offer like yoga and, and mindfulness circles or whatever. And, and then slowly I was thinking, okay, we can employ a lot of Inuit and I can step back and it can be, um, yeah, kind of if, if people wanted it and Inuit run business and, and that was a big idea. And then I totally let it go. I was like, no, I'm not. Um, so I was sea kayak guiding last summer, one of my co-guides, um who's just a wonderful woman she's in her 60s still sea kayak guiding I was talking about rock climbing and something and she's like when are you going to do it Kara like when are you going to start this program I've heard you talk about it for three years now like you need to start doing something I was like, oh, okay, okay. and then 
and that was kind of the spark again. So I had kind of dropped it for maybe two years. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. I had done the business, mm-hmm. but I dropped it. And then she kind of sparked it. And the opportunity to do my undergrad thesis on, on it just seemed, just seemed like the perfect, um, yeah, perfect opportunity. And, and then, so then I kind of backtracked a minute and I decided, okay, before building a climbing gym in the Arctic, which everything's either going to have to be flown or shipped up on a boat on cargo, which is really expensive. Um, What else could I do that could be a little cheaper? See if the community actually wants this. um, If there's interest, if it's actually beneficial. And so that's where the idea of like a summer climbing program came in. And um, we already have a Craig, so a climbing area in a Callowit that's, um, yeah, has probably like 10 routes on it. So it would be perfect. It's in the territorial park. So I'm hoping that it would be easy to get permits to just set up a little base tent. And then we'd have um, at least two Inuit instructors, one climbing instructor who's certified. I'm not a certified climbing instructor. And then I'm imagining myself, so the four people being um, there to pilot the program in the summer of 2022. And, and then really keep just gauging community interest, listening to parents, elders, the youth, and, and seeing if that's something that they really want to keep continuing. And then if it is, then I really do hope to slowly work towards this climbing gym idea, because I think in the winter, especially when it's super cold, like minus 50, um yeah that you know kids need more spaces to go if their if their home space isn't isn't feeling safe at that moment in time and we have a few areas but more is always going to be better so i just think that having that actual facility could be super beneficial to the community and making it free to to youth and and then charging for maybe like adult passes or things like that. I don't, I'm not exactly sure all the details for the climbing gym at this moment. Yeah. It's the dream in the future. Yeah. Right. So did, when you were growing up, was there a place like that you found where you could go to kind of escape from, you know, all the anxieties and like all the stuff that comes with being a young person um, who's struggling with mental health? Yeah, I think no i don't think there was i think there was this youth there is a youth center um that a lot of kids do go to but it gets gets maxed out at capacity pretty often Mm -hmm. and sometimes it um felt a little click clicky um and so I, i i didn't really end up going there but i knew a lot of people that did and then um I think it was just our houses. I think it was just, we would, you know, bounce around at friends' houses and also um, just be on the land. So we would be, you know, just walking around a lot and just hanging out outside, which is great. But um, yeah, I didn't really feel like there's that space for me. Right. So then I think sometimes, at least for me, having that kind of like, oh, where's my space? Where do I belong? It makes it a lot more, it makes you a lot more susceptible to, you know, drugs and that whole kind of scene and culture. Definitely. Yeah. And they're, um, at least in, in Iqaluit, there has been a lot of intergenerational trauma from 
residential schools. Um, and even before that, when RCMP went to the north, they actually started to take families and relocate them to different areas. And they relocated them more north than they had ever traditionally lived to claim sovereign space of Canada during the Cold War. So it was like pretty much using humans as flagpoles. And, um, and then they started to slowly shoot Inuit's dog teams so that they couldn't leave these places and create communities. And then they kidnapped the children and brought them to residential schools. And this all happened within like the last hundred years. So I have um, some of my friends' grandparents were born on the land, you know, and, and lived on the land until their adolescence. So it's a very quick turnover into modern um, kind of lifestyle. And, um, and you know, alcohol and drugs were traditionally used to um, get indigenous people to do what the officers had wanted them to do, or like you, like, you know, to sign different things and whatnot. Anyway, so the relationship with alcohol is really tricky and um, it, it's really hard to get. And you can only get um, vodka or rum when I was growing up and you would pay $180 for a bottle. Wow. And you drink the bottle in the night, you know, right. like there was, there's just such a culture of binge drinking and really hard drug use that was normal. So it's like when you're growing up and just seeing that all the time, then you just think it's normal. And even though you hear things and you know that it's kind of messed up, it's really hard because, you know, there's so much pain and then people are, going to this one thing over and over and over again and so I, i'm i'm just thinking that there needs to be a few people who can really represent to the youth that it's okay to feel these hard feelings and to try to be sober like there are people that will support you you don't always have to go you know down these certain patterns and it's okay if you have before um, right yeah, but yeah you show them a new normal a new option for what could be normal yeah, exactly. I think why I was saying that is just because I didn't really see that representation um, when I was growing up. And so like you were saying, it's just, it's just easy to fall into that pattern when that's all you're seeing and you don't necessarily have that safe space to go. Mm. So do you see that that happens for adults too? Or is it mostly something that people then kind of grow out of? Or... I'm curious what that um, dynamic is like between, yeah, the adults and the youth around this issue. Yeah, I, I mean, it's different for lots of people. Lots of people um, don't drink or drink in moderation, but there are a lot of people who, um, adults who are really struggling with substance abuse, um, very openly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel like I've heard also that that happens a lot in indigenous communities um, in the U.S. where mm -hmm. there is, I think it's, it's a really common way of kind of like figuring out something, some tiny thing that is not, might not actually help, but that you can do to kind of um, deal with in a way that generational trauma and that like feeling of kind of uh just turmoil is what it sounds like yeah when there's just so many different layers of institutional oppression you know when your land has been stolen and 
um, we're, we're in Nunavut, um, we're dealing with a housing crisis. So um, I forget the exact number, but it's over 50% of um, Inuit are living in overcrowded conditions. We're also dealing with food insecurity crisis. So 70% of kids go to school food insecure. Um, mental health, public health, like we have tuberculosis and at really high rates and just different types of diseases that you don't commonly see in developed countries. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then extreme poverty, right? And when the government and we have companies that come up and monopolize the North. So our food actually costs two to three times what it does in any other part of Canada, like a watermelon. I've seen a watermelon go for $60 before. Yeah. And so it's like, when you're just dealing with so many things, it's no wonder people are feeling helpless. It's really, really hard when, when it, yeah, the, all the institutions around you are, are, are not helpful. And, and it's really interesting because that's what the land claims agreement that I started talking about earlier of Nunavut was all about was ensuring that Inuit had rights to their land and also were not oppressed within their own land. And so there's many different clauses that say, you know, Inuit always have priority um, when being hired. Inuit have um, um, like their health and dental insurance is paid for, different things like that that ensure that they can kind of have a leverage up and also with housing grants and different things like that. But we often see the systemic racism come, come back up and people in power um, in the North, there's a lot of Inuit in power, but there's a lot of white people in power who don't, who just don't follow um, what the land claims says, um, lays out for how you're supposed to operate in Nunavut as a business. So there's just a lot of corruptness right now um, that I, I really see so many Inuit le uh, leaders emerging though, which is really exciting. And, you know, it's so soon from when they were living on the land till now that it's kind of like this get like, yeah, get up and go. Like people are just like, this is our land. Like our communities, like we have a say in what happens and, and really taking that back, which is so exciting. Um, and I haven't lived there for about five years now. So I think things are slowly changing, like I go home and visit, but I'm, I'm more speaking from my experience of when I was in high school. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> that's, hey, yeah, that's really cool to hear about and like to kind of like um know that it's something that people aware, are aware of even though you know i'm not aware of it and i think most people in the u.s probably aren't aware of it mm -hmm. um i was going to ask something hang on oh gosh <laughs> yeah. um, i was going to ask you about how you decided, you know, to incorporate that Inuit kind of ideology and like hiring them and at, you know, a significant rate. And what, is it because of these, um, I think you called them clauses? Yeah, um, it's not because of them. I just, I know, 
I know and that I've had it reflected back to me that that's the right thing to do. Um, uh, I was talking with some of my best friends who are Enoch and they were, and originally I was like, yeah, we'll have one Enoch person on the team and we'll have a climbing instructor and me. And they were like, why one Enoch person? And they said that when they were growing up, they often saw white people in, in positions of power. So as teachers and doctors, nurses, and um, that seeing that representation as a young Enoch is really important. And to see the, the equal um, power dynamics within a program is really important. So even if there is one Enoch person there, if there's two white people, there's still a power imbalance. Um, mm -hmm. That's like obvious to, to the feeling of the program when, when youth would be there. And the youth that I'm hoping will come to the program are not only Enoch, but since the population is majority Enoch, I really hope that the program reflects that as well, but it's open to, to anyone. Um, so yeah, I just really took her advice with that and, um, and, I, and I hope to continue to be called out and to be held accountable um, with the practices so that it feels like a really socially and racially um, aware and um, equitable space so that kids can build their resilience um, within that space. Because I think if we are falling short in any of those areas, it's not safe. People won't be able to explore their feelings, their experiences with drugs and alcohol or any other trauma. And um, yeah, so I think that's a really important piece. Right, it sounds like it really influenced you also to be growing up around like these kind of, like you were talking about how there are people who still like make their own shoes and like really kind of have that hands-on living on the land kind of mentality. Um, so it sounds like that would be really important for you to bring to other people. Yeah, I feel so blessed to have grown up in, in Iqaluit, in Nunavut. Um, like the amount of love and laughter and friendship that I was welcomed into, like I can't imagine that happening anywhere else. And it taught me so much, you know, like in the face of institutional oppression, like, Inuit elders and mothers and friends are still just some of the most joyful, incredibly strong people I've ever met. And, um, and they really welcomed to teaching me how to sew a seal skin. So um, I learned how to sew kamiks, which are the seal skin boots. And I've um, sewn a lot of seal skin mitts for my family and different things like that. My best friend taught me how to make a parka the last time I was home. And so it's really close to my heart. Um, and I just feel so grateful to have learned um, a piece of the culture in that kind of intimate way. Sewing has also been really helpful for my mental health. I think there's something about like slowly stitching things back together that's like, you know, it's slow, but you go from like just having random pieces of material to having like this mitt that keeps your hand warm. And, um, and I just like, like to use it as a metaphor for life you know it's like everything's everywhere and then just it's like slowly stitching it back together until you're in this safe warm place where you can grow um yeah <laughs> yeah that actually reminds me a lot of um kind of the some of the work that we do in natural highs where it's like you need to put your emotions into something if it's running if it's 
just pushing, if it's singing or artwork, just putting them, like using that emotion that you feel inside of you and feeling it and then doing something with it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that really blew my mind when Avani does her anxiety as a superpower presentation. And, you know, like the, the pushing exercise and tapping into that anxiety and then moving from there. And I love how Avani talks about Boulder. And she's like, you know, we have world-class athletes, everyone's exercising, but yet we still have um, a lot of mental health uh, struggles within this community. And, and I, was, I was telling someone this the other day that if, you, if, you, if we start to choose to do activities while tapping into these places of anxiety or discomfort in our body and actually moving them out, while we're doing a run or biking anyways, like imagine what could happen. It just feels like we're so unaware of that really simple practice. And I hope that I could bring that to climbing too, actually. Like, I think that it could be quite, quite simple. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So do you feel like when you climb, you're able to kind of tap into that and use it? Or I mean, I know for myself, like it's still something I'm working on because I, I like to bike or even just go for walks. And um, I think what's really, really easy to do is to be like, okay, like now I'm doing this, I can like not think about anything that's bothering me. But what helps, I've noticed, especially with when I go for walks, if I think about it and I just like ruminate on it while I'm moving, that is like the most helpful. So I'm curious if like what your experience is with that and climbing. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing as you. I'm still super working on it. Like, I forget to do it half the time. But when I have done it, I've experienced kind of more power, like, in my, um, I don't know, just in the movement of pulling myself up the wall. It's like, yes. Mm. Yeah. Right. Cool. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you feel like we didn't touch on today or – anything that you feel like you'd like to put out into the world into the community yeah um i guess what's coming to me right now is that nature connection is a really huge piece of the program too and the natural highs i think it's so potent how connecting with plants and connecting with the land reconnects us with ourselves and and it's it's tools to work through the emotions because we're remembering that we're all one, that we are, that we are nature and ourselves too. Um, yeah. And so I would, I would just love to spread that message of a reminder that we're all nature and we're not separate. And how can we be in touch with um, that connectedness on an everyday basis a little bit more and I also love I think Avani says this but it's been my mantra the last few weeks is that you know behind there's an intelligence behind everything um, that behind every action that you might have thought was wrong or bad choosing drugs or choosing to you know do something that might not have been beneficial for your life in that moment there is an intelligence behind it and I really I really want to move the program with that um, motto. And I think that that's where the shame-free um, environment is created within natural highs is just an, a really deep understanding of the human experience and, 
uh, and of compassion for how our minds work and that there was a reason um, that we did everything and there's a reason we're here now. Um, mm. I'm so happy to be here with you now, Tara. Thanks so much. This was really fun. I was kind of nervous at first, but it was great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It was really cool, to, like I said, to be able to talk to you about this and like hear it from you. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to keep growing with you and hearing about your journey through the internets and connection, connecting. Yeah, totally. Maybe you can come up and help me pilot the program. I would, <laughs> I would at least for a little bit, you know, come visit. Yeah, a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be before the snow. Right. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you next time one of us does a podcast or next time you listen to somebody else's podcast from us. <laughs>So thank you for listening. If you liked this episode of This Badass Sober Life, please subscribe to our channel so that you get uh, notified when the next episode is coming out. If you would like to connect with us, please find everything we do on our website, naturalhighs.org. And there you can also sign up for free notifications, free emails to all of our events, activities. You can also check out our store. We have beautiful guided practices, audios, video courses, and lots of ways uh, how you can be part of the community and donate and uh, support our work at the same time. So we'd love to be connected with you. You can find us on Instagram. We are Natural Highs Official on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. We are Natural Highs Community on Facebook. We would love to hear from you. So get in touch with us with your feedback. Uh, if you want to be a guest or have a guest recommendation for this Badass Sober Life podcast, we would love to hear from you. Uh, please send us an email on avani at naropa.edu. And uh, if you would like to be a sponsor or a collaborator, we would love to be connected with you. So get in touch with us. And in the meantime, be well and live your badass sober life.